At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Conspiranormal. Hello, everyone. It's your host, Adam. Welcome back to Conspiranormal. Surfiel is here as well. We just got through with a uh, really cool live broadcast with Dr. Future about the Georgia Guidestones and how he helped crack the mystery in which he got vindicated Recently with some mainstream press coverage, so that was cool. Yeah, they ended up talking about his research on John Oliver. They didn't mention him by name, but uh, you guys should have heard that last week. This will go up before this episode. So, uh, But time-wise, Serfiel and I just finished that up about like 40 minutes ago. So, But tonight, we have a good friend of ours of the show that uh, we haven't had on in a few months. At least, yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. You you guys can hear him. I think you guys can guess who this is. It's Mr. Soraya from Where Did the Road Go? Welcome back to Conspira Normal. Mr. Soraya. I don't, I don't know if that works. Dr. Soraya? <laughs> does, that, does that make you feel weird, Soraya? Esquire? Uh, somebody refers yeah. to Yeah. We'll just we'll just go with Soraya. <laughs> Mega Soraya. Yeah. Oh, that's all right. That one's yeah. fine. You, you like that. Uh, that could be a wrestler. Or frater, Soraya. <laughs> frater? Yeah. I like that. Nice. Well, that, I guess that would mean you were like in the OTO now if you're a frater. Yeah, right? and I'm definitely not in the OTO. Yeah, no, you're definitely not in the OTO. That's that's true. That's, that's, that's true. That, I am not an organization person. Yeah. Uh, none of us blame you for that. But uh, tonight we're just going to kind of have like a little freewheeling discussion. Um I think the last time I was on there, we did kind of like one of your Wandering the Road episodes. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And, uh, but we are going to talk about, you'll know, have like kind of a topic that we're going to talk about tonight. But uh, I do want to say off the bat that Soraya is going to be doing our next Strange Realities online event uh, that we just decided is going to be on June 29th. And we'll talk about what Soraya is going to talk about that night. Uh, that's going to be on a Wednesday night this time. Uh, we're going to try kind of like a different night um, just for, you know, for for reasons. And we'll see how, how that goes. 
But uh, we're, we're happy to have you doing that with us, Soraya. And, oh, well, thanks for asking me. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about what you're going to discuss, what you're going to talk about. But tonight I really want to talk about something that you mention quite often on Where Did the Road Go? And that is the Seth material. Yeah. And this is like kind of like a group of like channel texts. That uh, <clears throat> it's books. It's yeah. uh, so this started out uh, my exposure to it started out. And I, I thought I had picked this book at a, up at a used book sale. I just recently found in my notes that actually my mom had been given the book to donate to the library along with a bunch of other books. And I happened to look through them and went, oh, the Seth material, this would probably be good for a laugh and asked her if I could have it. And she was like, yeah, sure. You know, they were donations. So and then I put it away and didn't look at it for, oh, something like eight years. And I ended up digging it out because uh, I was looking at anything new online I could find. This was like maybe 98, 99, anything new on near death experiences. And I, I would look at these websites and some of them, I mean, some of them were very woo, but some of them were very scientific in their approach to this stuff, looking at the evidence. But so many of them would also reference Seth. And after a while, I'm like, why are all these otherwise non-woo sites referencing this one particular channeled entity? And so I, I dug around till I found the book, which was buried in the, behind a bunch of other books. And I flipped through it to a chapter on death. And what Seth described that happens when you die not only fits near-death experiences, but fit one of the few things that I did find from new research on near-death experiences that we definitely did not know when, when those books were written. In fact, we didn't even know. I mean, I'm sure we knew near-death experiences happened, but the term wasn't there. Raymond Moody hadn't written his books on it yet. It wasn't in popular culture whatsoever. I want to give a little bit of background here in a second, but just to say, was this Seth material? Well, printed, I guess, published in 1970. So, yeah, Seth Speaks. Okay, that's 1972. Okay. But I was this actually, I mean, that's when it was published. So was it actually written before that? Yeah, but I thought, I thought Seth Speaks was the first one. Maybe not. Yeah, according to this, it says Seth material was 1970. But Seth Speaks is the book that you have. Yeah, well, I have a, oh, most of the books. Most of the books, okay. Uh, and I've read most of the books. Of which I noticed uh, one time a few years ago, Serfiel and I were in a used bookstore here in Nashville, and I saw several copies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they've all been reprinted and stuff. Yeah, so they were, I guess, extremely popular at the time. Yes, yeah. Mass market paperback. They uh, they definitely, and that's probably why it was, in, you know, being donated to the library because somebody had it. Can you go in a little bit of the background of like Jane Roberts and then how she started channeling? Yeah, so she was using a Ouija board, and that's how she apparently made contact with Seth. And eventually, she was able to speak directly for Seth. And I guess at first, Seth didn't actually say his name was Seth. He was saying he was a guy who passed away or something like that. And, and exactly what you'd expect from a Ouija board. Uh, and later said that he that he wasn't lying about that because that was one of his personalities. But now you were talking to the core personality. And that's what was being channeled through Jane. 
uh, as I read, so it, she did that for a while. Uh, and then basically what she did is she held these free ESP classes, as she called them. And people would come from all over and they'd sit in and she would she would talk about particular subjects and then interact with everyone in the class and never charged any money for it. And people absolutely swore by the validity of the data they were getting. Uh, she was managed to actually help a lot of people with this stuff. There's no uh, one of the things when I started getting into this because I was so anti-channeling. I was like, okay, has anyone like debunked the Seth material? Are there any massive contradictions or anything? And there really aren't. the The data is very, very consistent, very detailed. Uh, it's generally considered probably the most genuine case of channeling that anyone has done so far. Now, what that means, it's a little hard to say because, uh, you know, we don't exactly know what channeling is. Uh, Jane didn't remember most of the time that she was Seth. Sometimes she did, sometimes she didn't, which definitely points to it being an altered state of consciousness, uh, just like hypnosis. Uh, Jane herself said she didn't know what this was, if this was a legitimate entity, if it was her contacting her, you know, subconscious mind. Uh, there's no indication that she was faking it. They weren't getting rich off of this stuff. The only thing they did do is they wrote the books and uh, Seth would just dictate out these books in sessions. And that's one of the really impressive things is, again, the books don't contradict themselves. And there's tons of data there. And it never like falls back where Seth says one thing and then says another. Uh, it's and, it, and the amount of detail would be near impossible for somebody to do the way she did it. And she, this was dictated to her husband who wrote all this down. Yes. Yeah. And they lived in Elmira, New York, not too far from here. Right. Uh, and actually, yeah. he was alive until just before I started. Where did the road go? She died in like 84. Yeah, she died pretty young. I mean, she was only in her 50s. Yeah, she had, um, oh, what was it? Rheumatoid it was rheumatoid I think it was rheumatoid arthritis. She was unable to stand or do anything. Hmm. Is there a spiritualist history in Elmira? Uh, not that I'm really aware of, but I mean, the, the, the whole region, right, of upstate New York is. Yeah, there, there's bits of it all over the place because you have the Fox sisters, right, which are not that far away from here. You got uh, the whole uh, Mormon movement coming out of that area in Elmira and stuff. Wasn't Elmira? It was really Palmyra. Like, Palmyra. Was it Palmyra? Yeah, that's where Uncle Joe uh, had his vision. <laughs> so yeah, I'm trying to look at what actually called killed Jane Roberts. I'm pretty sure it was it was a very bad case of rheumatoid arthritis. And she was dictating while she was uh, in the hospital for treatments for this. So the last book, um, the last book is right up pretty much until days before she died. Oh, really? And I always love this quote, New Age. It says New Age writer Michael Talbot, but Michael Talbot wrote the holographic universe and basically looked at all this stuff through the filter of, of uh, quantum physics and stuff. Uh, he says, to my great surprise and slight annoyance, I found that Seth eloquently and lucidly articulated a view of reality that I had only arrived at after great effort and extensive study of both paranormal phenomena and quantum physics. Well, there's something very, as I understand it, 
very natural about how Seth communicated. Yeah. Like it really wasn't like this kind of weighty kind of archaic language. Like, so no, not like at you all. Would get from like Edgar Casey or even that you get now um, from some of these, from some of these channelers and that it seemed like very, very natural. And even, you know, I think from what you've said before that, you know, Seth even had like some kind of sense, had a sense of humor. Yes. And would joke and, you know, so it was, it was very, very, very human. Absolutely. Not, you could call it an entity, but it didn't act entity like, I guess you could say. It, it, it was a personality. Right. Right. And Seth's explanation of what he was that is that uh, he was the oversoul of Jane and, uh, you know, a bunch of other lives that were all happening simultaneously because he said all, li- you know, time doesn't really exist from the perspective he's at. And uh, that what he was saying was not literally what he was saying because it was going through the filter of Jane. Right. So Jane's beliefs, Jane's views of the world and stuff would, would translate what he was saying and how it came out. So he's like this. And he also never claimed to be omnipotent. He said he didn't know everything just because he was not, you know, incarnated at the moment being disincarnate. Didn't give you, you know, total knowledge of everything. Um, he never claimed to be anyone spectacular in history. Mm-hmm. So he, he did a lot. It was a, very different from a lot of the, the channeled stuff that you see outside of it, both contemporary and after it, where, you know, it's like, like Ramtha was like, you know, an Atlantean warrior prince or something like that. And other people were these big figures in history. And Seth was like, yeah, I was no one special. He was like some guy called Seth. No, he was never called. I don't think he was ever called Seth. I think Seth is the personality as it's translated through Jane. So where did the name come from? I don't know. I think she, I think he said Jane just liked the name. And so he chose it or something. So Jane chose to call him that. No, I think he picked it because Jane yeah. liked it. I, I, I don't remember exactly. That was, it has been a long time since I've sat down and read those books entirely. So what was Seth's main, um, goal and what information was he trying to impart for a reason? So his main thing was teaching us about reality, how reality worked and how to improve our lives. And it was not this love and light sort of thing. Like he would make a point that bad things happen because sometimes you need bad things to happen. Um, And that even if you are, you know, in a sense, like following where you're supposed to be, you're, you're still going to encounter ups and downs. Um, and he did have that sort of like you create your own reality thing going on. But again, it wasn't it's not like you get with like the secret and stuff like that. That seems like a very uh, watered down version of what Seth was trying to explain. And you guys said that comes from new thought. Yeah. See, and I didn't realize that. I thought that was a straight ripoff of the Seth material. Oh, no, that's totally new thought mental science. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so Seth was, you know, very, very, very rational about it uh, and how you create reality. And it's not a matter of just like making things what you want, but you, you're here. He would say you're here to create. You're here to create your own reality, to create art, to express yourself, 
Um, and that's the type of stuff you should push through, but everyone's here for a different reason. And, you know, some of, some people are here to do bad things so that people have good things to fight against, which is not the way a lot of the whole love and light thing, you know, comes across. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That does seem to be a part of new age belief. I've noticed that there's this whole idea of you choose you you choose your fate before you're born type of thing. Ah, okay. Yeah, I've I've noticed that in some a lot of new age circles. I don't know if that necessarily reflects what Seth was talking about, but I'd have seen that before. Yeah, I mean because Seth also talked of reality as being multidimensional. Um, you know, using sort of the quantum idea of of multi, you know, every choice breaking off into a new universe. Yeah. So he uh, he would explain that you have like a primary universe, which is where your, your main consciousness is based, but it might not be somebody else's prime universe. And that when you die, you can actually access those other universes and see how different choices would have taken you different places. He also mentions the life review review process, which, you know, we know of from near death experiences. Um. And what, how did he explain it? He explained that you, in your, I think it was Seth that said in your life review, you feel not only are you experiencing what you did, but you're experiencing how you made other people feel as well. So you're kind of experiencing the repercussions of your actions, both good and bad. Yeah, that, that, uh, that clicks with what, I've heard in the near death experiences. I think yeah. Yeah, you're right that Raymond Moody does write about that too. And, uh, and Cheryl Lee uh, Black, who's been on the show a million times, also said that that's what she experienced as well. And you got to wonder, like some of these people who, you know, like someone like Hitler, who was responsible for, you know, torture and death of so many people. Do they feel every one of those in their life review? Well, let's hope so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Like, and, and even, you know, someone who's like any, any kind of leader who is sending people off to war, do they feel the consequences of all those people who died for them because of their decision? There's a lot of instances of religious dogmas that, uh, you know, people kind of wash their hands by letting other groups do the dirty work. So like, I know there's a lot of Southeast Asian Buddhists who explain their uh, lack of vegetarianism through that. And they have religious minorities do the butchering. So, uh, so who knows? Um, I want to ask if this is kind of, if this represents like a synthesis of newer science and physics and this cosmological spirituality, because that's kind of a theme that's happened before that was especially happening with the birth of theosophy and some things like that. Is this like a synthesis of science and, and religion almost? There wasn't really a lot of religion in it. Um, it was mostly just like him talking about the nature of reality, but it's a spiritual worldview though. Yes, it is definitely a spiritual worldview, uh, that, that basically consciousness forms reality. So yes, in that sense it is, but he also, you know, would talk about things that we were going to discover in science that then kind of came out sometime after that, uh, the near death experience thing that I had noticed is, uh, there was a researcher who was one of these skeptical doctors who decided he was going to do research on near-death experiences. And he found that 
the people, not only was he absolutely convinced these were real after doing this, this research, but he gave a survey to absolutely everybody he did a heart, you know, heart work on. And every, so I forget how many, what percentage had near death experiences, but even if they didn't, he had them fill out this survey saying, what do you think happened during the, the operation, et cetera, et cetera. One of the things that convinced him is that the people who had near death experiences would be dead on a hundred percent correct about everything going on in the room that they claimed to be able to see. Whereas the people who did not have a near death experience weren't even close. Like it was, it was completely opposite, you know, like if they had to make up what they thought was happening, they, they didn't even get remotely close. It came across as something like you would see on television, which of course is not how that stuff works. Um, but the other thing he discovered is that not everyone who died had a near-death experience and not everyone who had a near-death experience died. So that was right. kind of the new thing I took out of that where I was like, well, that's really interesting. And as I'm reading that chapter on death with Seth, he's talking about how death is, there's no point of death. Some people will leave their bodies before they're even dead. Other people will stick around in their bodies because they don't want to leave it. There's no like singular point of death. And I'm going, did you just explain near death ex- this this research I just read? Death with Seth. <laughs> and you know, he's talking about how you will initially get what you believe to happen when you die. So it's it's sort of a morphic reality that you know you work your way through, which makes sense because you get, you know, most people will see what they what they expect to see deep down. You know, it's kind of catered to them personally yeah. when people have near death experiences culturally yeah so that was really interesting and then i think the other thing in in seth speaks that that kind of got me was i never understood crowley's whole lust for result thing crowley would always say when you're doing magic you beware lust for result because if you focus on something the 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 ritual you did isn't going to work you know and i was always like that doesn't make any sense i mean you would think if you're trying to psychically affect something focusing on it would be the thing you want to do and so Seth is talking about how we create reality. And he's saying, you know, um, the way that we create reality is through symbols. And those symbols need to reach the unconscious mind to have any effect. You can't keep them in the conscious mind. And I suddenly sat there and went, oh, my God, this he just freaking explained lust for result. What I'm curious about is Jane Roberts, you know, whether or not she was this was just another like part of her personality. And you, you've said that before, Sarah, I've heard you say it. Um, but there was some interesting stuff. I mean, she had suffered, kind of had a hard childhood and there seemed to have been some, some abuse involved. It looked like it was probably like physical abuse. And we know sometimes with that, there can be, you know, I don't know the, the, the just trauma in and of itself. Yes, can can open people up to these experiences. Absolutely. Right, that's right, that's one right. of the things Kenneth Ring discovered when he, he did his survey of near-death experiences and people who had UFO experiences is that he, he coined it the encounter-prone personality. Mm-hmm. And one of those common elements was past trauma. So, so I don't know. I don't remember much about Jane's past. Yeah. It seems like they had a pretty good marriage. Uh, he was an artist. Uh, she was an artist too, I believe, or maybe she was just a writer. She did write a couple of books. 
some fictional books based on the Seth ideas. Mm-hmm. And I think she wrote poetry before that. Yeah, it says that she was in a strictly run Catholic orphanage in Troy, New York, while her mother was hospitalized in another city for treatment of her arthritis. So she had some, you know, some kind of families, like kind of family issues and just like some separation. And she ultimately succumbed to those same, some of those same health issues. Yeah. Yeah. So whether this was some kind of coping mechanism or, you know, I mean, I obviously I'm not, I'm not leaving that there's a doubt that she could have actually channeled something. Oh yeah, certainly. I mean, we don't, we don't know what this stuff is. I mean, she didn't know. That was one of the things I was impressed with is at no point did she make any absolute claims. She said, I don't know what this is. I just know that I can do it. What about other um, other witnesses of these channeling sessions? Are these only have is this only her and her husband or were there ever third parties? They, they had whole classes there. OK. Yeah. You, they would have a room full of people every like week or every month, however often they were doing it. And there's a lot of testimonials that no kind of, no kind of trickery was going on. No, but and there's video. There's video of it. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend watching the video. Like it makes me really uncomfortable watching the video. Uh, her actual channeling of Seth is just—it's weird. Really? In what way? Uh, her voice is strange. The movements are strange. It's just, I don't know. It weirds me out trying to watch it out because initially I was like, oh my God, there's a video. And then I'm watching the video and I'm like, nope, nope. Cannot take this seriously. Watching the video must, must go back to the books. (laughs) So uh, that's interesting, Soraya. So it like, it freaks you out to see that, but then it's kind of bizarrely silly too, in a way. Yeah. It's like over-exaggerated and, and. Yeah, I don't know. It was just like it wasn't something I wanted to watch. Yeah, huh. and I've said, I know other people who were into Seth who said the exact same thing. Like, because the books are almost eloquent, right. and when you listen to it, it's, it's not eloquent at all. It's it's it it looks like someone being puppeted. Hmm. Hmm. I'm gonna have to check some of that. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't aware that there was anything like that. Is there a Short audio recording that you know where it's at on YouTube or something that that we could play. Not offhand, no. Okay, we'll find something. We'll find something. If you, it's, it's, it is on YouTube, so if you search it, you can find it. I bid you good evening. <laughs> and understand your responses to our friend here. For when. He speaks. You fear the vocabulary. Because you fear the belief that you still are afraid of it. You are afraid that after all, Your hard earned knowledge. The others are right. You are not sure of your position, and therefore you must defend it, sir. 
own fantastic individuality. And whenever any beliefs, even our own, blind you to that, you have lost. Whenever you relate to someone as simply a belief or you get your back up and you don't see the reality, then we've won. We'll bring you closer to people. It will not divide you. If it, if it divides you, that is not what it is. The other thing is that she regularly submitted to any kind of uh, psychic tests or anything like that where people could verify whether or not, you know, this was real to her. Uh, and for the most part, she'd do these tests and then just get no response back. So there, there was a healthy amount of skepticism seeming to come from her and her husband about what this was. But at the same time, kind of like Carlos Castaneda's stuff, I mean, we know Castaneda just kind of pieced it all together from different sources, but those sources were legitimate and the information, you know, some of the stuff Castaneda talks about does work. And it's the same thing with Seth, regardless of where it came from, the Seth stuff does work. And one of the interesting things I found it because I'd find when I read it a lot, I started having really strange dreams and other people have told me that very same thing that if they read a lot of Seth, especially right before they go to sleep, they have really strange dreams what are some of the dreams that you've had? Oh, I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head. I was just curious that they involve Seth. I don't know. That's no, they didn't, they didn't involve stress Seth. They would just be really yeah. uh, more vivid and, and weird dreams. Maybe something about the language. It could be put you in some kind of trance or something. Or just had, a, had, a, had enough of an impact. I mean, it's really, it's fairly deep stuff as you read through it. Yeah. Very like philosophical kind of. Yeah. And, you know, he speaks about he speaks about God as the all that is. So he says nothing we experience is not a part of the all that is. And we are just a tiny sliver of of what that entirety is. And this is really a foundational thing for the, the modern New Age movement. Yeah. We know of that because it seems like it was the most recent authority or really a prolific channeled source that had this kind of universal message for mankind saying that there is truth to different religions. That's kind of a lot of the, the basis of what we call the new age movement since, since then, since the seventies. And like I said, what I, what I liked was the skepticism was the fact that Seth wasn't claiming to be an authority. He was just saying, this is, this is what I know from my experience. Uh, he claimed that personality did survive death, uh, but that it changes. Um, so you, you kind of don't lose who you are, but you kind of connect to the bigger part of yourself as well. Are there any passages in those books that stand out to you, Soraya? The one I always go back to is Seth talking about how time works here uh-huh. and him saying that time passes at the rate that your brain can process reality. And I always thought that was fascinating because it is completely true. When you think about it, time flies when you're busy or you're having fun and you're really engaged in something. Time just zips right by. But if you right. just sit there staring at a clock, time slogs. Yeah, it's all perception. Yeah. 
So the more reality you're processing, the faster time goes. What struck you particularly? I mean, going back to kind of like the near death stuff. What I know that she talked about the uh, Raymond Moody and how uh, some of that echoes what Moody later writes about. And I mean, just like the near death experience in and of itself. But is there anything else that really like struck you in particularly about that? About the near death stuff? Oh yeah. Um. Not really. I mean, it just seemed to be very dead on to what was late. And that was one of the things I'm like, okay, when was this book book published? Okay. When did the first near death stuff come out? Oh, like four years later. Okay. So it wasn't just being pulled out of the near death literature, but it matches the near death literature. And like I said, it matched things that were happening that were more current discoveries in the late nineties. Like people were having these experiences, even when they didn't die. Mm Uh, that Seth also talks about. He also talks about people, you know, when you when you're born, you don't always come right. You know, you're not always in your body right away. Sometimes some people are wait until after they're born to, to enter their bodies. And some people are in their bodies from the point of almost from the point of conception. Do you feel like it kind of brings some validity into uh, some of Seth's material? Yeah, I don't think there's I I looked very hard to find anything that could be distinctly disproven about the Seth material where Seth said something because there's a lot of things Seth says very specifically where someone was like he was absolutely wrong and I wasn't able to find anything. The biggest criticisms came from uh, generally Christian sources, which claimed that Seth was a demon that eventually killed Jane. And the other ones were from the materialists who were like, well, all of this is nonsense. We don't actually have to debunk it. Right. But if you looked up other channelers, you could find all kinds of of data of where they contradicted themselves, where things didn't always match up. So, you know, it was that part was really interesting. There's a and this happened, I guess, while or after they had already channeled this particular information. But he talks about. One of the weird things is he talks about previous cultures. He says Atlantis existed and he calls a previous culture Lumania instead okay. of Lumeria. Right. And I, and I always thought that was just strange to go with that, but okay, whatever. But he talks about them having sonic technology and that most of their tech was based around sound, mm-hmm. which, which, and you know, in the last 20, 30 years, we see more and more that these ancient cultures had some kind of sound technology that we don't understand. And they talked about, he talks about cave paintings and he says, particularly in the areas around the border of France and Spain, that will eventually be discovered that we will not be able to see what is actually there. Like we'll discover these paintings and they'll look really great, but there's more to them than we can actually perceive. And then shortly afterwards, they discovered those, those, uh, the, I forget the name of the cave that has the almost three dimensional images and they're like 30,000 years old or whatever. Le show. Yes. Le show. Yeah. And so he, Robert writes in there, he's like, as of this printing, uh, the Le show caves have just been found in, in, uh, in an area of France and seem to match up with what Seth is talking about. Because when you look at those cave paintings, they're they're like incredible works of art. They're not just scratches on the wall. 
So that gives some kind of like foreknowledge of something that had not been discovered yet. Right. He didn't make a lot of, Seth did not make a lot of predictions uh, because he said time is not like a, a, a singular thing. You can't really do that. Uh, but yeah, those cave paintings, and when you think about it, those cave paintings were probably made by shamans who were ingesting uh, different substances. So when they were making those paintings, they probably are trying to represent something that we can't see the way we see things now. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say a lot of them were in those cave yeah. paintings. I think that that's that the abstractions of those paintings and uh, just the way that they look, I mean, that's that's, that has been a theory for a little while now that there was some hallucinogens going into that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and Graham Hancock does a good job of, of probably getting as close to proof as we're going to have anytime soon for yeah, that. Is that in Supernatural? Yeah. That he talks about that? I've never read that one. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit dry going through all the cave painting stuff because he wants to really present a good case for it. Yeah. Uh, but it is, you know, it's there. Um, I'm trying to think what the other thing was. There was a, there was another thing that kind of blew me away when I discovered it in the Seth material. Um, I can't remember what it is. It definitely, I mean, it took me, I was in a very severely depressed state when I picked up that book. And by the time I finished the book, which only took me a couple of days, the depression was gone. It had that much of a profound effect on you. Yeah, it really did because it just gave me a whole bunch of new stuff to look at, like a whole new way of looking at reality where I initially went in like, what is this nonsense? And then it's like, holy crap, <laughs> this is really interesting. How old were you when that happened? 28, maybe. Yeah, that's 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 oppressive stuff. So, I mean, if even, it, even if it was completely made up it still has an effect on people like i said castanada stuff we know castanada you know made a lot of the story of don juan up yeah you no know, he just used old you know he but he did the research so he uses actually sh actual shamanic techniques in his books i guess you could say don juan was probably some kind of uh an amalgamation of different characters that he met i guess yeah or just read about yeah um I know Adam Go Rightly's written about that. Um that there was Castaneda made a lot of stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the the fact is if you do the stuff that, that you know, because Seth will teach you these techniques in these classes, um, and they're in the books, if you if you utilize those techniques, it actually does do something. That's the thing. Like they're effective. And that's what a lot of people found. Like people kept going to the the, the ESP classes were in high demand. And like I said, they never charged a penny for them. So right. prior to the Seth Speaks book, she actually wrote a book about training herself to use ESP, right? Yeah, she did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because she was fascinated by that stuff. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Does that make you more skeptical in any kind of way? Um, no, just not because, really. But you could see how it, it could lend to some skepticism that she was... She was already really, you know, pre-exposed to these ideas of channeling, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, probably. Um, And I mean, she was using a Ouija board trying to connect with something. Right. So I don't think her being interested in it makes me more skeptical. Um, It makes sense that if you're interested in you're you're working toward that goal, some people are successful. It's definitely helped change my view of channeling altogether. Um, Because the only other one that seemed to have any validity to it was Edgar Casey's stuff. Uh, And even his stuff, a lot of times, just seems really kind of out there. Yeah, Edgar Casey's stuff is is way out there. But he would also prescribe, you know, weird uh, cures for people that seem to work. Now, whether that's just saying about, you know, the placebo effect or what, who the hell knows? Yeah, and she would... He was considered the sleeping prophet. So right. like he would be sleeping physically and then he would start to he would start to speak. But Jane Roberts, I don't think, I mean, it was more of a trance like state for her. So like the, there was this idea that I guess that she was more awake during it. Or more active during Well, it. she she said usually she didn't remember anything of the session. Yeah. Of whatever Seth said. Right. She would have to go back and look at her husband's notes. And sometimes she wouldn't look at them for a while, apparently. And that's the other thing. I mean, again, the consistency is really impressive. Was there a preparation that she did before uh, she would go into these trance states? No, I don't think there was. And did I think she would even like drink come out of nowhere cigarettes while she was doing it. <laughs> I mean, would it just come out of nowhere? Or did she set intention to go into these states? Oh, yeah. No, she would sit down and put her in relax and it would just happen after a while. Okay. Well, I would say that she was predisposed to all this. I mean, obviously, since she wrote this book, this other book, oh, yeah. and she was into it all. And like you said, she she used the Ouija board, and uh, just one day, just like stuff, stuff kind of just clicked for her, and it just it just started to happen. And, and like we said, I mean, it could have been another part of her personality. And whereas the the multi dimensional stuff was. It was out there, but it wasn't like it is now where it's like part of the pop culture. Uh, but it was kind of in the hippie culture at the time. Mm-hmm. So it's entirely possible some of that came from that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I seriously, when I read through that book, I was looking for something to be like, aha, see, that's BS. And I was like, oh, man, you know, I can't really find anything. Is there he talks. Any- he talks okay. about UFOs very briefly and he says something like, I don't remember the exact quote, but he says something like, uh, cause someone says, what are UFOs? And he goes, well, those are, um, other consciousnesses entering your reality from outside. And then he stopped and said, I'm actually kind of surprised you can see them. And this was way before the idea of conscious, you know, UFOs being conscious was a thing. The, the 
instead of it being some kind of physical thing. Right. Right. Yeah. He said, you know, things can travel in, in time and different realities, but what's traveling is consciousness, not material things. Uh, that seems to kind of uh, seems to kind of jive with what we we talk about a lot on your show and on mine. Yeah, yeah. He also called Jane Rupert because that was one of her past lives. Okay. As a man, so he always addressed her as Rupert. So. Did he ever say that he was like a past life of hers or no, he was, he was kind of the over over soul. Yeah. Yeah. So he had other, and one of the interesting things too, they're talking about like uh, incarnating as different things. And he says, you know, he, he incarnated as a tree once because he just wanted to kind of like relax. And uh, he says something like, he talks about like families of consciousness, like how, how there are different different types of families that are similar in style of consciousness and they tend to reincarnate together. Mm-hmm. And he at one point, someone asked about animals or something. He's like, and he says something about having a life as a dog once, but he's lost track of it. Couple is a good life. <laughs> and well, it's it, the way he expresses it. It's almost like you can have, you eventually become an oversoul, you know, like as mm-hmm. you progress through life, you eventually get to the point where you're, you're, you know, creating other lives to put out there. But there's no ultimate ego survival after death. Uh, there's the person survival of personality. There is. Okay. Yeah. That's a big thing that the, that he expresses that the personality does survive death. It changes, but it does survive death. So did he have any concepts of like heaven and hell or any kind of like divine punishment kind of concepts? No, no just the, the F, just the experiences you get when you die. And I guess you would say like those kind of like life review. I mean, that's enough, I suppose. Like that's your kind of like your purgatory in a way. Right. Well, he also would talk about how uh, you're, you're incarnating for a purpose most of the time. Yeah. So sometimes, like he, like I said, he would say sometimes people incarnate simply to make a challenge to other people. You know, you need bad in the world for the, for the good to grow. Yeah, I think that's the, uh, the explanation of evil. Yeah. Well, is there anybody now that kind of continues this on, or that you've that you've uh, there read there or- are pe- there are people who claim to channel Seths, but one of the things Seth said is that. No one else will ever be able to channel Seth because Seth is the combination of this, this, you know, being who's not incarnate and Jane Roberts. So it was literally impossible for somebody to channel Seth. But of course, numerous people claim to have channeled Seth and don't have the anywhere near the depth of, of data coming through. So it's very like specific that, that once Jane was gone, once she died, that, uh, it, that it was would it. be it would be incomplete, right? Yeah, uh, that's that's it. some interesting concepts. Yeah, and there's I mean there's so many books out there now too. I think I've read all the main ones. the the one The last one she did, the way toward health, is a little depressing because I mean that's when she's in the midst of dying, and Robert keeps leaving you know little notes in there about how she's doing, and it's just kind of sad to read. Because you can kind of feel how how really torn up about everything he is. 
So some of these other books, of course, you had 1970, The Seth Material, 1972, Seth Speaks, The Eternal Validity of the Soul. I guess that's the That's the, the main one. one. And then 74, Nature of Personal Reality. Now, I'm guessing that these are just books that were also um, penned by Seth, but they didn't have the Seth moniker on them. Right. Well, they, they usually have something about Seth on there. Yeah. But yes, yeah, Seth, Seth actually was the one writing the books. Ymir's Education and the Proper Use of Magical Powers. That's actually children's literature. <laughs> yeah, I don't That's, remember that one. I don't know. The Oversoul 7 Trilogy. Now, this is stuff from the 90s. Yeah, that. so that was written by Jane. That's fiction written by Jane. Written by, okay. So they've lumped them in together uh, in, on this list here. And I guess she must have been interested in art because there's things about Rembrandt, Paul Cezanne. Yeah. As well. So that's not, that is not exactly stuff that's, if you go to the Wikipedia page, there's stuff lumped in here that she wrote that wasn't necessarily part of the, uh, the Seth material. Right. Right. And there, there's a two volume nature of reality book, which is fantastic. Um, I'm just looking for some quotes. Uh, all religions are distortive. For that matter, much of your science is distortive. Both arrive at approximations at best of reality. Religion has been the cause of much prejudice and cruelty, but the bomb over Hiroshima was not caused by the Catholic St. Teresa showering down any roses. The distortions in science and religion have been truly disastrous. Science is apt to turn into another religion if it has not done so already. Any fanaticism is truly vicious, one-sided, limiting, and causes an alarming shrinkage of focus that is explosive and dangerous. So this criticism of both science and religion and this ultimate way forward through some kind of, some kind of synthesis. Right, right. Without the extremism. Any other quotes stand out to you, Sarah? Um, I'm looking here. It's hard because I'm trying to read these while I'm talking with you guys about it. Yeah. Um, but there's a bunch. There's a bunch of Seth groups on on Facebook. Uh, so this stuff still has a huge following even today. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I've met people through finding out they were into the Seth material and just talking about you know talking to them about it. Is there more of a base up there in upstate New York still? No, not really. It's just more spread out all across yeah. the country. Uh, there's an unending conversation going on throughout the universe and a most meaningful one. That was just a short one. Yeah. There probably is a book that's just quotes, maybe. Oh, yeah. You can look up yeah. just Seth quotes, definitely. Right. But it take, you know, a lot of them taken out of context don't make a whole lot of sense until you read sure. you know, the whole chapter or whatever. Yeah. Um, let's see. Since the two of you together follow more or less the same pattern of reaction there, you are faced with spotty results. A child knows something will go away if you pretend it doesn't exist. To the adult, this is, seems like the sheerest of nonsense, yet the child's connections with the heroic dimension still remind him of the truth. 
Um, as it is, you express very little of your entire personhood. You have other minds. You have other minds that are invisible. When you use all of these minds, then and only then do you become fully aware of your surroundings. You perceive reality more clearly than you do now, more sharply, brilliant, and concisely. At the same time, however, you comprehend it directly. You accept as yourself those other states of consciousness native to those other minds. You achieve true personhood. And we certainly know there's multiple uh, states of consciousness that we are fully unaware of. Uh, there is no road. There is no road to truth. No one road to where the answers appear like road signs and you only have to follow the road to truth is no road. It is a series of steps within yourself, ever miraculous and ever new. A little bit uh, before we leave the subject, I want to ask you, you talked about how this kind of affected you. I mean, and, and you pretty much are like the, the person that I hear most about this from. Is this something that has really had a real profound effect on your life? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, aside from pulling me out of the depression, in studying all this stuff, like the quote from Michael Talbot I threw out there at the beginning, like I look at, you know, I find something new and be like, oh, yeah, Seth talked about this, you know. So there's a lot of this uh, material that you go back to whenever, like, especially you're doing your show. You do you, you talk about it. You're like, you're like, oh, yeah, Seth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes I'll be like, I don't want to bring up Seth again, but I can't not bring up Seth again. <laughs> That's the prime reason why I was like, you know, I was like, I wanted to get you back on. I was like, you know, we never have really talked about this in depth. And like I said, it's it probably Seth himself said this is not all right. You know, I don't have I don't know everything. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, there's enough substantial stuff in there uh, that's really, really interesting. And it definitely had an effect on me and it's had an effect on other people. That doesn't mean it's, the, you know, that Seth was really this oversoul and that everything he described was right. But like I said, the practices actually work. The stuff he talks about actually work. It makes sense. Um, this one's from Seth Speaks. It says, since consciousness forms matter and not the other way around, then thought exists before the brain and after it. Yeah, because even if it was just Jane Roberts, you know, her another alternate personality or whatever, it's, it doesn't make it any less profound. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so it, it, over the years, I've become a little less critical of the whole channeling thing. Cause it seems like most people probably are picking up something. I mean, unless they're just absolute charlatans, you know? Yeah. Well that too. Yeah. But you know, it may just be that Jane had a very clear connection to whatever she was channeling. Whereas a lot of people don't mm -hmm. or their ego starts getting in the way and, and, you know, taking it, you know, taking it over. Well, I think it's very rare. Like Seth saying that I, I, I don't have all the answers. I may not be right. I mean, <laughs> would you hear that from Ramtha? I don't think you would. No, no. And that's exactly <laughs> it. But yet they did studies on uh, Jay-Z Knight where she yeah, definitely yeah. was showing different brain waves and stuff when she was channeling. So something was going on that was legitimate. But whether the information was legitimate or just channeled through her ego, you know, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And when things start to get political, that's when, that's when you got to yeah. watch out. That there's, <laughs> There is something uh, odd going on there. That's for sure. 
Is there anything else you want to say about that before we kind of move on to a couple other things? Uh, it's worth picking up Seth Speaks and reading through it and see if it connects with you. Yeah. Uh, he also talks about one. So the other thing he talks about that I find very interesting, uh, and I connected this when I read Illuminations, how there's sort of a mass conception of reality. Like we all affect reality in some ways. So certain events happen, like big events happen because they need to happen to kind of shake things up. And he, uh, when I'm thinking, when I was reading Illuminations from uh, Willette, he's talking about how, you know, UFO waves are hitting uh, areas where there's a lot of political turmoil and stuff like this. So like World War II, things like that, where he's connecting it to a mass psi event. Right. Yeah. I, I remember that episode. Yeah, that was a good episode. Yeah. And that's not completely different from what Seth is saying, that when enough people need that, that, that change to happen, something to shake things up, they kind of create that reality. And I'm like, they're saying, using different words, but they're kind of saying something similar with this. So let's uh, move on from the Seth material. I want to talk a little bit about some of the other s- stuff you've had on the show. Uh, kind of have been getting caught up on where did the road go recently. We'll talk about these strange disappearance stuff here in a second. But uh, this lady that you interviewed that actually knew Manly P. Hall. About that one oh, was, yeah, Tamara. Really interesting. Yeah, that was uh, that was that was very interesting in some of the things that she, that uh, that she talked about. What kind of your impressions of that? Uh, I never knew any of that happened to her. I've known her forever, and, and that stuff never came up. <laughs> never let you know. Huh? <laughs> Mostly, my interactions with her were just over her punk band. Oh yeah. So I've been playing her since the, I, I think she said I was the first radio station to actually play her stuff. Now, is she in that, like, Ithaca area, or is she somewhere else? No, she's in, like, L.A. or whatever. L.A., okay. Yeah, I've never met her, never actually talked to her until I did that interview. Really? We, we just talked online. It started back in the AOL days. So well, did she just, like, mention, like, oh, by the way, I used to, like, go to Manly P. Hall lectures? No, the, uh, Inner Tradition sent it. And so, oh, like, I'm right. like, what's yeah, this book? Right. It's a book, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like... Oh, Manly P. Hall by Tamara Lucid. Tamara Lucid. I'm like, what the? Uh, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> and then I wrote her and I'm like, you wrote a book? And she's like, oh, they sent you the book. Not an interesting synchronicity there, Soraya. Uh, was there anything that was interesting to you in that book that you didn't know? or I, I know very little about Manly P. Hall, to tell you the truth. Like, aside from the name and a few little basic facts, I've never read any of his stuff or anything like that. But I, th- I thought that her whole story was interesting. Yeah, I have a copy of Secret Teachings of All Ages, but I haven't uh, really read it. So what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't even have that. I don't have, I don't have time to read, man. <laughs> so yeah, I just thought that was a really a really interesting show. And some of the things that she talks about, some of the school duggery that was going on that uh, not necessarily didn't surround Manly P. Hall, but uh, some of the people that were around him. And it, do you know? She talked about like there was like a cult leader that yeah. started getting taking over. You any idea who that was or what that was all about? Not off the top of my head, no. Yeah. I mean, he was someone that just seemed to kind of like get get in with them. Uh, and then, you know, he Manly P. Hall died while he was still, you know, dealing with him. Yeah, it's a bit of a tragic story, uh, and especially towards the end there, but... And she was puzzled why he was falling for this guy's BS because he, to, to her and her uh, husband, 
it was really obvious that this guy was full of crap. Interesting guy, though. I mean, just like prolific, how he would really just sit there on that chair and just freestyle those entire lectures about yeah whole parts of history or esotericism yeah. or religions, mystery schools, like just all just out of his mind. Yeah, yep. Robert, Robert Guffey knows a substantial amount about him. And uh, the, well, the book Bella Lugosi's Dead, that it was a it's a fiction book that Robert wrote, uh, which will probably be getting Guffey back on the show here fairly soon. But Banley um, P. Hall plays a pivotal role in the book and likes to insert Banley P. Hall in there a lot. So, Yeah, uh, listening to those some of those lectures is really uh, really influential on me. All right, so you can get those online too? Yeah, there's tons of them on, on YouTube, or was. I don't know. I don't yeah. know I think, yeah, I think they're still up there. We, we should uh, yeah, we, we go fl- listen to Manly P. Hall and Seth after all this. <laughs> it's okay. So you do like a remix. Um, <laughs> so I want to talk about this, like, this little uh, story that you read in Strange Disappearances. This is weird. Yes, it's and very weird. I really would love to know the validity of this, whether or not. Because, like, well, so this book, uh, when was it published? And who is it by? So this is Brad Steiger. It was published in 72. Yeah, 72. Man, my copy is literally falling apart in my hand. So is it from 72, the book? Yeah. Yeah, okay. it's from 72. Is it out of print or is it like available? It is out of print, but there are, you can pick it up for like, I don't know, like 40 bucks on Amazon. That's nothing, Adam. What are you grunting uh, about? <laughs> 40. Yes. Surfiel spends $300 on books on uh it used to be a lot more. It used to be in the hundreds, and it's come down. Okay. I mean, interlibrary loan, people. You can do, you can do that as well. Yes. Uh, and there's, a, there's an internet library loan you can get it on, I found. Um, but, I mean, Steiger wrote, what, 100 and something books? Yeah, he was really prolific. He was the Nick Redford of his time. Yeah, and I mean, they're all very short books for the most part. Uh, except for the very last one he did. So this thing's only like 150 pages. Yeah, 156 pages. And they 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 generally sold well. I mean, they would just, you know, whatever he felt like writing about, he threw a bunch of stories together in a book and put it out. And this one just was, this is actually called Brad Steiger Explores the Astonishing Powers Behind the Strange Disappearances, which has baffled mankind through the centuries. Gotta love that pulp. Nice. <laughs> And the story you're talking about is Thomas P. Meehan. And we actually did look this up online to see if anyone had any further info and nothing new has come to light from it. Would you like me to read this? What's the story? Yeah. The strange disappearance of Thomas P. Meehan, a 38 year old Concord, California attorney and a referee for the state department of employment appeals bureau on February 1st, 1963, would seem to suggest that a bizarre kind of distortion of time occurred in a in some mysterious manner. Meehan left Eureka for Concord at about 2 p.m. as he drove as far as Myers flat before he stopped to telephone his wife and complained that he felt ill. She told him to spend the night at the motel and not try to drive through. It is from this point on that the time sequence becomes most confusing, all the more so when the startling climax of the day's event is, events is realized. Approximately 5 p.m., Meehan checked into, Fort, into 40 Winks Motel at Redway. Approximately 6 p.m., the attorney drove to the Southern Humboldt Community Hospital at Gaberville to see a doctor. 
At 6.45, Meehan told the nurse that he felt as if he were dead. While she was checking on him and before he had seen a doctor, uh, Meehan disappeared. At 7 p.m., a Myers flat couple told the highway patrol they had seen the taillights of a car on Highway 101 drive into the Eel River. At 8 p.m., attorney Meehan was talking with Chip Nunemaker, the owner of the 40 Winks, at the motel. Meehan asked the innkeeper, do I look like I'm dead? I feel like I've died and the whole world died with me. Nunemaker noticed that Meehan's shoes and trouser cuffs appeared wet and muddy. 9 p.m., Meehan went to his room. 9.30, motel employee Harry Young went to Meehan's room to tell him that the call he had put through to Mrs. Meehan could not be completed because of a storm that had disrupted telephone service. Young saw that Meehan had changed into a black suit and a white shirt. 10.45, the highway patrol found Meehan's car submerged in the Eel River, its tail lamp still shining like beacons for the searchers. Skid marks indicated that the vehicle had gone off the highway at high speed. Officers found blood on top of the car. The right front window of the car was open. Meehan was nowhere in, in sight, but droplets of blood and muddy footprints led up the bank 30 feet, then vanished. No trace of Thomas Meehan was found. Then, 19 days later, his body was discovered in the Eel River near Myers Flat, 16 miles downstream from where Meehan's car had veered into the river. The evidence of the autopsy suggested that the attorney had survived the crash with a superficial head wound, then later had died of drowning. Okay, well, (laughs) there's a lot there. Yeah. Uh, Now, it does remind me of some of the Politis stuff. A little bit. Where... You know, there's not a body found until much later. Uh, But then you've got him telling people that he felt that he was dead. That he was dead already. Yeah. And the thing is, is that could he have possibly... Well, I guess they said they saw him at 645. Was that at the hospital or was that at the 40 Winks Motel? I think that I think that was the hospital. That was the hospital. So could he have somehow gotten in his car, pitched his car into the river, got out, and was just hanging around telling people that he already felt he was dead, and then went and committed suicide later? Yeah. I mean, that in and of itself is totally bizarre behavior. He did have a head wound, to be fair. Yeah. Now, did he have a head wound before the car? No. Into the river? Okay. No. Did Thomas P. Meehan's illness and confused state of mind leave him to weave in and out of hospitals and motel rooms and into a cold, swirling river? Or did that same confused but powerful mind exert an influence upon time and space? He says, if Meehan's automobile went into the river at 7 p.m., and it must have since no other automobiles were reported missing or ever found in the river on that date, then how did he appear to be back at the motel to chat for an hour with the owner? Chip Nunemaker did make note of Meehan's muddy shoes and trouser cuffs and the attorney's repeated complaint that as he felt as if he were dead. Employee Harry Young saw Meehan at 9.30 and observed that Meehan had changed out of his wet clothing, had Nunamaker and Young actually talked with a dead man. Although Meehan did not disappear without a trace forever, he certainly did disappear and reappear 
all during the evening of February 1st. And after he was last seen by Harry Young in his motel room, Meehan's body was not found till February 20th. Meehan's car was seen to plunge into the Eel River about the same time that he was sitting in the hospital in Graversville waiting to see a doctor. The police found drops of blood and muddy footprints that led up the bank for 30 feet before they simply vanished. Could Meehan have made his way back to the 40 Winks Motel? Or did Tommy Meehan actually die by drowning when his automobile went into the river at seven? Could his ill and confused mind and the will to live have projected his image of himself to the nurse, to Nuna Maker, to Young, while actual, his actual physical cell floated lifeless in the Eel River? Or was it an insurance scam? I, I don't know. Well, they did find his body, so... That did answer the question of whether... Because they said they had butter shoes, and I was about to ask you, was he wet? But yeah, they said that he changed out of his... He changed out of his wet uh, clothes. Yeah, and I'm looking to see... Yeah, that's I'm, that's weird. And, and Chris Ertz on the show, he said that there was some kind of condition where people felt that they were dead. Yes. But that this that seems like a much more permanent type of thing. This this seems like rather I don't know it's almost I think he seems like a nervous breakdown to me possibly yeah or he could have just been sick I mean he was saying he wasn't feeling good yeah um and we 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 found one art current article that didn't have anything new and I'm looking at another one here that also doesn't really have anything new what I'm wondering is what was he wearing when they found his body was he wearing the suit or was he wearing what he was earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, that's, yeah. So there is some incomplete information, probably. The police said Meehan had been thrown from the car as it crashed into the river. He had banged his head as he was thrown out. He had landed in the water unconscious. That's why he had drowned. I don't really know what to what to make of it, to no. be honest. I mean, you could try to sit there and figure it out that he, yeah, maybe he pitched his car in the river. He got out, started acting weird. Wandered back to the river, drowned, and and walked in and died. Maybe he's going back real. to get his car. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking to see. But if they there's... but they got his car out of the river the same night. Yes. Right. So and they yeah, he was found, blood. he was found drowned in the river. Yeah, and that was days later. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This article basically says the exact same thing. So we know that this actually happened. That this was a real thing oh yeah nobody made this up and then steiger might have heard it or whatever nope there's police reports and everything else yeah that's bizarre and no good explanation this this particular one i'm looking at now is assuming he was a full-formed apparition did they they touched him did they go to the the (laughs) but that's that's the thing i mean he you know it seems like you would know if you were talking to an apparition for an hour i think like you said the suit may have the key to the mystery yeah because if he was he was wearing found but there's there's it does not say uh but i mean the nurse examined him at the same time that the car was going into the river maybe he had maybe he had a twin maybe it's like the prestige so it's yeah because it says uh Around 6.30, Mr. Meehan showed up at a county hospital in Graberville. The emergency room was crowded, and Meehan was told to wait. Witnesses remember him sitting in the waiting room because they noticed his dark eyes and haunted look. At 6.50, a nurse called Thomas Meehan up to the desk. She began asking him questions and filling out paperwork for the doctor. As she wrote her notes, Meehan kept asking her a question. Do I look dead to you? He asked. I feel like I've died. 
Finally, the nurse finished the paperwork. She filed it and came back to tell Meehan the doctor would see him, but Meehan was gone. Um, so at 7 o'clock, two people saw the accident many miles south of the hospital where a car skidded off Highway 101 and plunged it into the Eel River. So that's only, I mean, if, if he was called up to the desk at 650 and mm-hmm. to fill out paperwork, that's going to take at least 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Whereas at seven o'clock, his car is plunging into the river. So he's in two places at the same time. Potentially, unless yeah. he wasn't in the car. But if he wasn't in the car, who was in his car? Um, Maybe he had a twin. <laughs> That's the only. <laughs> R, it's a genuinely supernatural, and this guy really was a ghost that was right when he thought he was dead, when he said he was dead. He was living two probable realities at the same time. Yeah. I hope this is something that doesn't happen to people often because, I mean, that would that would sure suck. It was hard to see why the footprints ended. If the person had kept walking, he would have made more footprints. It looked as if someone had walked 30 feet uphill and disappeared. Where are the footprints in, right? <laughs> exactly. When he was found, his lungs were full of water, showing that he drowned. Well, Soraya, just in closing, I, I want to talk a little bit about a uh, couple of things. And uh, one is the presentation you're going to give. We decided we're going to do this on July 29th. That's a Wednesday evening. So coming up here pretty soon as uh, this when this drops. Um, just what you're going to be talking about. And also, um, at Strange Realities Conference this year, I'm... I think I have talked Christopher Ernst, Chris Ernst into premiering, I guess, his documentary about you. So let's talk about those couple of things. All right. As far as what I'm talking about, I'm not 100% sure because it'll probably depend on what my what mood my mind is in to what 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 it wants to go into when I do the presentation. Uh it'll probably about, be about how we perceive reality, how how little of reality we perceive and how this stuff could be hiding right under our noses without us actually being able to see it and how that's not that strange of an idea based on how things work, both between our senses, uh, the way our consciousness filters things and what reality really tends to be. So So that'll, that'll probably be the the presentation. Well, I mean, that's an excellent one. We should stick Mm -hmm. with that. So and as far as the documentary, yeah, we're still working on that. I, th- this was not supposed to be a documentary about me. This was Chris working on a project where he was going to interview a bunch of different uh, Fortean researchers and stuff. And I think because he was having a hard time getting everyone he wanted for that one, and he was just like, well, I can just come see you and we can do this. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I'm not going to complain. I just feel a little weird being in that much of a spotlight. Well... You are Soraya Azkath. <laughs> uh, so he's still coming up a few more times here in the next few months. So we're going to film some stuff, maybe do some night recording at the graveyard and stuff. Cool. Well, that'll be something, um, you know, different. We got a lot of different uh, things going on at the next Strange Realities Conference. We're going to have workshops and a film premiere would, would uh, really fit in great. I think that'll be great. Yeah, and I think what we're going to do is uh, we're going to have just like a question and answer session with you and uh, you and Chris and talk yeah. about the film, you know, after it shows. I'm not quite sure how long the film is going to be, but I think he told me it's 
probably about an hour or maybe a little bit more. Oh, okay. I, I, I never discussed with him how long it was going to be. Yeah, so we're definitely, definitely going to do that. And, uh, I don't know if you're going to come to Nashville or not, but, uh, we're going to, neither do you. I. We'll have you, we'll, we'll have you there some way. Uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. We will channel you. Yeah, we'll channel Ooh. you. <laughs> that might be interesting. <laughs> Uh, well, guys, that's October 14th through the 16th. Uh, got a lot of interesting things, like Sir Fiel said. So, uh, Sarai, in case no one knows by now, tell people where they can find your show. www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And that has links to everything, all the social media, Patreon, everything, YouTube, uh, Discord, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook group, anything you could want, including email you know, con- contacts are all there. And if you like metal, especially if you like hearing different stuff, you don't hear everywhere else, www.thelastexit.org, which I just got, just did our 28th anniversary of me hosting that show. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. It also amuses me that that's older than some of my co-hosts. Do you have some of those uh, older shows recorded like from that time period? The oldest one I have is from December 1996. Okay, that's pretty. And then I think we have one from 97. Back then, I, I, I didn't have any money, and the only way to record them was on cassette tapes. Right. And cassette tapes weren't cheap, especially when you're recording a six-hour show. So I kept clips of stuff. There's like best ofs of some of the funniest stuff, uh, which is currently not on the website. But, uh, yeah, there's a few full shows in the archive going back to 96. So if you want to hear a very young Soraya, exactly, you should, you should go go to that website. All right, well, guys, uh, conspiranormal.com. Like I said, we're gearing up for uh, Soraya to give his presentation on June 29th. Uh, coming up here, that's going to be a Wednesday night, so it's a little bit different than our regular Friday night thing. Um, and uh, we look forward to seeing you guys there. Uh, but also Strange Realities Conference coming up October 14th through the 16th. We hope to see you guys there here in person in Nashville. If not, there is also a tier where you can just uh, watch it online like there always is. And also our Patreon is available. You can uh, join up on that too, and Sirfield can tell you where to find that. You can find that at patreon.com slash conspiranormal. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, actually, Sarai, Vincent Trewell's coming on next week. So, awesome. So it'll be the next show. So looking forward to having him debut on Conspiranormal. Vincent's awesome. Yep. Thank you, Sarai. Thank you. Please consider becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com slash conspiranormal or leave a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com. And please check out our YouTube channel, Conspiranormal Podcast. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, 
we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.